Welcome back to Option 5, everyone. My name is Dan, and today's episode is a conversation I got to have with Gideon Taub. Gideon is the founder and CEO of Pinkaloo, a modern giving platform that gives individuals, employers, and banking institutions an innovative solution to maximize giving, manage tax receipts, and drive user engagement around philanthropic efforts. Gideon discusses how Pinkaloo combined his passion for personal finance and early stage entrepreneurship with the desire to create a better way to give proactively. Gideon and I also got to talk shop around the topic and role of product management. In this episode, we discuss how product management is most certainly a technical role, engaging in tasks such as writing user stories, defining acceptance criteria, and building product roadmaps. However, it's also much more. In fact, Gideon discusses why product management is primarily a communication role than anything else. Product managers are communication experts and translators between all other roles on a product team. In this episode, you'll learn that if you love technology and if you have the ability to build strong relationships with all members of a product team while communicating clearly and effectively, you can be a product manager. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Linhart with uh, Option 5 Podcast, and I'm here with Gideon Taub from uh, the D.C. area. Gideon is the founder of Pinkaloo, and I'm excited to have this uh, conversation with him today. And Gideon, thanks for being with us. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to join the podcast. I know the previous episodes have been pretty important and powerful, and so happy to come on and, and share my learnings and my journey as well. Awesome. Well, let's, so you mentioned journey, so let's jump in there. If you would, wouldn't mind, tell us, and you can go back as far as you want to go back as far as you want. Tell us a little bit about your history yourself, and then how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I graduated from undergrad in 2007. I have a, a background in, in what the University of Virginia calls systems engineering, which is a little bit of software along with some industrial engineering background. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the interesting thing is that at that time, most of the graduates coming out of that were going into consulting at a Booz Allen or an Accenture in the in DOD work, or were going up to Wall Street and you know, product management, which really builds on the skills that we learned to a T, was a lesser known opportunity coming out of coming out of undergrad, and in fact, wasn't even on our radar. Um, and I was just super fortunate, right time, right place, in terms of a class I took, a capstone class in my fourth year there, where a tech entrepreneur came down and spent the year looking at new business ideas that he had. And five of us essentially were his analysts for the year. And at the end of the year, he decided to found um, what became a a tech company in Baltimore called Videology. And and we can chat through that. Um, And in that journey, he said, why don't you come on and become our first product manager? And I had no idea what product management was. um, (laughs) And I, I remember, you know, in the first few weeks, uh, he sat me down with a, with a piece of paper and he drew a, a wheel with spokes and he put product management in the middle of the wheel and, yeah. and out to all the different stakeholders, sales, to board of directors, to customers, to engineering, obviously, to operations. And he said, your job is, is 90% communication, is communicating back and forth across these, these different stakeholders and, and 10% Front work and hard work, heads down, thinking about how things are going to work based on your your learnings yep. from all these stakeholders, and and I really took that to heart, and that's informed a lot of my product journey over the last twelve years. 
Yeah, it'd be amazing to count how many metaphors I've probably heard over the last few years around what how to describe product management. Because the first time you hear that is like, so I'm managing products. I've heard of managing people, but what does that mean, managing products? So you're the hub and spoke, or you're the glue, or you're the quarterback on the field. I mean, all of these different metaphors that if you uh, if you go with those long enough, it's like okay. That, that starts to make sense, especially once you live in that product management realm for a while. Certainly, I think I think you know what what at the time was a, was a shock to me, and, and now has has really resonated, become more valuable. Is that sense of product management really being a, a communication role mm -hmm. first and foremost? Um, you know, if you're not out talking to customers, if you're not talking to engineers, if you're not gathering all those insights, but also able to translate them and and speak different languages to some extent. Um, you know, you might not be as successful as, as if you are doing those things and you can wear a few different hats and communicate with those different audiences. Yeah. How, so a uh, question that came to mind, how long did it take? Um, it's, I'm asking myself the same question too. How long did it take you to realize that being a product manager is almost as much soft and interpersonal skills as it is understanding the technology? Yeah. Um, I think one always reminding my, myself of that is, is, is certainly important. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and my happy place to some extent is, is certainly, you know, really digging into how the product's going to work and a great mm. user story and a great um, requirements document and, and, and all that. Um, you know, and over time I've become much more comfortable being out in front of customers and, and being on that side of it as, as well. Um, but, you know, I, I can even answer it as well, you know, by the time I, I left Videology, the, the overall company was at 350 employees, the product group was, was close to 10. Um, wow. And so people, you know, come into that role straight out of undergrad, as well as people coming in from other functions within the company, certainly, you know, at least six months, oftentimes 12 months for them to, to really grasp that the, a big part of the role is, is more than user acceptance testing and, and great mm -hmm. requirements documents. It's, it's also getting out and having those conversations. And, and even to some extent, um, and, and we see this now at, at Pinkaloo, which is a, a much, much, much earlier stage startup, that a big function of product management is really driving buy-in and driving alignment and agreement mm -hmm. around, around what the vision is. Um, and, and, and you know, I know Google has one end of the spectrum with their approach where ultimately engineers essentially pick what they work on and the product managers need to, need to sell them to get them to opt into building any of their stuff you know, that, that's maybe one extreme, you know, there's obviously companies on the other end of the extreme where product managers are more like dictators and, and developers right. don't get too much set. You know, we, we personally try to find a balance somewhere in the middle, but I do think that the idea of a product manager selling or pitching their idea based on data, based on mm -hmm. customers, and obviously based on gut of where they think market's going and the product needs to go is, is a good function for them to play in terms of driving that consensus and that buy-in versus just dictating what's going to be built. Right. Absolutely. And in, in your experience, um, has all of your product management positions experience been with, um, product companies, um, or have you also been on the side of like the agency side? So like Crema, our product managers are very much on the agency side as well to where there's a high degree of just personal touch and client management, um, that even adds another layer to that product management role as well. So speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so at, at Videology, you know, the quick story there is it was a, an advertising technology solution that started in 2007, right? And online video was, was really getting big. 
um, and, and we helped advertisers find and buy the right video ad placement and, and ultimately ended up helping websites and publishers and broadcasters monetize their video ad inventory as efficiently as possible. Not dissimilar to all the crazy data targeting stuff that's been in the news lately in terms of helping people find the right audiences and do retargeting and, and, and all of that. Um, in that journey, we worked with with those ad agencies as as our primary customer base. So we were spending a lot of time with those folks. Um, and, and, you know, I think with any product management role, you really need empathy for your end user, for your customer. So we were really trying to understand, you know, what does their day-to-day -day look like, you know, mm -hmm. in, in turn, how are they representing their work or representing our technology to their customers? So, you know, never necessarily all the way, ultimately facing the brand and, and having to layer those skills in with it, but, but one layer removed in terms of helping, you know, whether it's a, a young media buyer at a Wall Street or at a Madison Avenue agency up in New York, um, you know, somebody a little more senior, help, helping them have the right tools to be able to go manage that relationship is, is a big mm -hmm. part of what we were doing. Um, mm -hmm. Today at Pink Loon, mm -hmm. we can talk about that in a few minutes when the time's, when the time's right, but now we have more of a B2B to C play. Um, which brings us with it its own its own challenges um, for for better and for worse. Um, so right. not exactly the experience that that you all share today, um, but you know not not dissimilar in terms of uh, some of the products that we've had the chance to build. So uh, let's just jump right in. Yeah, that's a great segue to one of my favorite questions. Is we've found so in season one of uh, of this podcast, we talked a lot about what does it take. Um, both organizationally, culturally, but um, from a process standpoint, it takes a lot of work to build high-performing teams. Um, anything worth doing, uh, worth doing right, is also going to be difficult. You know, it's going to be hard. And so, um, if we feel like building product, the best way to build products with product teams, there's going to come challenges. So, if you wouldn't mind uh, in your current uh, role, and we will get to Pinkaloo, I promise. But in your current role, but also maybe from the standpoint of one of your product managers, what are some? Uh, what are two? Uh, big challenges that you are working on from like a team dynamic, you know, you were always talking about as founders, how can we build, how can we deliver our services and our products better? Um, what are the things that are on your mind right now that you are thinking, man, if we did these things, our team would operate so much better. Yeah, no, lo lo love that. Let me, let me preface the question by, by, uh, sharing that, you know, so I spent 10 years in, in product management at Videology out of that experience ended up founding Pinkaloo, you know, the first year primarily wearing a product management hat. And now I spend much, much, much less time doing mm. data product management than, than I'd like, you know, now it's a hundred percent selling and, and investors and recruiting and managing a, managing a team. But, you know, I think your question is, is actually super topical. Yesterday we were just having a, a, a debate internally capability that we want to add to the roadmap and, and do we take an MVP approach or do we take, you know, sort of a more feature full approach as we bring it to market um, and, and figure out, you know, what the right strategy is, is therein. Um, and, you know, I think some of the challenges that particularly, you know, small teams, early stage companies in particular, but I'm sure you see it as well is right now, you know, our whole team is type A personalities. They're all very strongly opinionated. Um, mm -hmm. They all, agree in terms of if it's worth doing something, it's worth doing something right. And so I think as a result, we end up um, mostly for better, you know, spending a lot more time in the, in the design phase than I think more mature products uh, end up spending because everyone has a lot of opinions. And so there is a lot of time invested in driving yeah. towards that consensus. 
Um, and I think that's something that, that we're really working on, on how do we improve that process so that we uh, can get to the right design quicker and everyone mm. feels like they've been heard and, and, and we're making the most informed decision that we can. Are, are there some frameworks that we could be adopting? And so starting to do some reading and research there, I don't, I don't necessarily have the answer just yet. Yeah. Um, you know, but in a world where we have um, you know, product managers that, that have, a, have a lot of impact and, and influence, but we also have engineers who, who do as well. And obviously we have folks on the executive side of things um, who are spending most of their time out with clients, you know, how do we make sure that we mm. effectively pull in all of these different opinions and, and get to a good decision quickly is something we're struggling with a bit. Oh, I resonate with that so much. I feel like, um, what a valuable skill. So as a product manager, you would probably 100% affirm that having different team members, different, uh, roles. So designer, developer, product manager, a strategist, um, uh, for us, there's also a test engineer, all of these different perspectives, uh, they see the product through a little bit different lens. And you, at, at the end of the day, you get a much better product and you have a much better direction because of that but that requires such good decision-making. Um, and it requires having those healthy debates, but also how can we make a decision quickly, knowing that in this realm of technology, we've gotta be moving quickly. But like you said, everyone wants to do it right. And so there's that healthy tension going back and forth of making the decision quickly versus, but also you don't wanna make a bad decision. I feel like product management sits right smack dab in the middle of that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's spot on. You know, I think thankfully our team, I imagine your team, most teams are working in an agile framework. So, you mm. know, there's some ability to course correct once you have made decisions, right? I think the, the one difference is as you start communicating to clients and customers, what you're rolling out, you, you lose a bit of that ability to, to course correct as you start making promises and, and not wanting to, uh, you know, surprise clients and customers, which obviously never goes goes well. So, you know, like I think doing a lot of that work up front's healthy. At least building in some opportunities. Hey, let's come back together as we are a third of the way through this project as a whole. You know, let's just call it two sprints. In as an example, you know, let's put a marker in to reevaluate. Do we still think this is the right approach? You know, also using that time to evangelize with clients and, and get their feedback as well is is, is helpful. Um, and, and, you know, we now have a much greater ability to do that with agile development frameworks than, than we did in, in previous experiences and at previous companies. But um, yeah, 100%, uh, I think you and I are, are speaking the same language in terms of how, how we wish things could be. Yeah. So I, I don't know how many years ago now, it was maybe four or five years ago. Uh, so um, myself and then two of our PMs, um, went to a conference. It was a digital project manager, so project managers conference. And it's amazing how many times you would be talking and everyone around you would be like me too. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like this, everyone around like submitting all these, like both highs, but also grievances. And it was across the board. Yeah, us too. We're right there. Um, and so whenever I speak to another product manager or who has done product management, it's like, there's just a lot of head nods like, oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's great to be able to have this conversation. Um, so let's back up to, I want you to tell us all about Pinkaloo. How did it start? Where did the vision come from? Have you, have there been any pivots where, you know, what's the trajectory, everything about Pinkaloo? Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll try to do that in, in, in a couple minutes. Um, <laughs> a quick background, as I mentioned before, 
a lot of students in, in my program ended up on Wall Street, and, and I was no exception spending a, a summer on Wall Street um, purely or primarily out of a personal interest that I had with finance and, and personal finance specifically. Um, and so one of the frustrations I had at Videology was that we were growing like crazy. By the time I left, as I mentioned before, you know, 350 employees, 300 million in revenue. We were operating in 20 plus countries. As part of that, I had the chance to open up our offices in Singapore and in Tokyo and in Sydney, which was just an amazing wow. opportunity to um, learn a ton. Also to take those product management and product skills and, and start putting them out in front of customers a little bit more and, and get some operating experiences as well. But you know, I think something that I never felt like at the end of the day, I laid my head down and felt fulfilled that we'd optimized ads another 5% that, that week or that day, um, and that we were really making, making an impact. And so as companies grow in general, you know, your individual contribution and the impact you're having obviously is, is smaller than it was when it's a three, five, 10, 20 person company even. And then on top of that, the reality that the, the work we were doing while it was interesting and it was cutting edge and obviously Hulu was getting going and YouTube was growing like crazy and online video was becoming so much more prevalent, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily feel all that fulfilled. And so at various times during that journey, I'd looked for ways to sort of marry my passion for personal finance with also getting back to something earlier stage. And so I actually took a sabbatical at one point um, after returning from opening those offices in Asia to work on a startup idea I had that um, actually never went anywhere. And then I shut it down after six months. I realized I wasn't ready and willing to put my own money in. So I certainly wasn't going to take investor investor money. Um, and actually, to some extent, think it's still an opportunity in terms of helping early mid-career folks better make big macro level decisions with their money. Should I be paying down student loans faster? Should I be saving money for my first home purchase? All those kinds of things. I didn't feel like I had the right formula. Um, but sort of laid the seeds for, okay, if I am going to start something, what do I need to do? How do I do it? How do you do customer discovery when you don't have a product at all? Mm. All, all that fun stuff. Um, and so fast forward to 2016, I'm, I'm doing the, the boring uh, stuff of working on my taxes. I get to the section <laughs> donations. First off, I'm like scrambling to go find all my tax receipts, mm. find the two or three of them, line them up. I'm like, crap, I didn't give nearly as much last year as I thought I had or as I wanted to had this visceral reaction where I didn't feel very good about myself, um, you know, finish up my taxes, but definitely left that feeling like one, you know, is this a problem someone else, anyone else is having with around managing their giving Two, what are those pain points? And three, can we build something that that's pretty compelling to help address it? Um, and so during, you know, those, those conversations, you know, early customer discovery, a few themes came out, you know, one being people, reflecting and having similar experience in terms of tax receipts being a nightmare if they are in a position to itemize their tax deductions. But, you know, I think more interestingly, people saying, I want to be giving more, but I don't have an easy way to budget for it. And, you know, unless I'm actually setting this money aside and earmarking it for giving, it's easier to end up putting towards brunch or gifts yeah. or something else entirely. And then a, a much bigger pain point that kept coming up is that people uh, wanting to give, but not knowing local organizations that are doing great work where they feel like their donations will have an impact and, and um, not wanting to give to massive national organizations where they felt like their money might not have as much of an impact. Um, and so they were really just looking for, for search and discovery capabilities and, and, and tools like those. And so essentially we looked at how since, um, you know, we joined the workforce in, in the mid 2000s, there'd been 
access to health savings accounts, mm-hmm. 401ks, 529s, and thought, why don't we have a similar way to budget and manage charitable giving where I can put money into my account anytime I want, all my tax receipts are in one place, I can then uh, search, discover great organizations that I might want to give to, and even better collaborate with peers and other community members and, and be a little bit more proactive with my giving as opposed to being reactive and only giving when someone asks me to or when I hear a, a story in the news. So that's the background of, of what we do at, at Pinkaloo. People love to ask where, where the name came from. Yeah. Um, I'd like to tease that to the end. I, I don't know how much uh, you guys track minutes spent listening, if we should uh, tease that till the end of the podcast or, or jump right into it now. Go ahead. Yeah, go with it. The, the, the embarrassing is, uh, story is it's actually a, a nickname that my parents had for me growing up that I, I didn't love as an eight, nine, ten-year-old uh, kid on, on the playground. I, I think <laughs> on them being South African. I actually don't know what the significance of it is. Uh, somewhere during late high school or college, I bought the donate, domain and just had been sitting on it for eight, ten years. But as we were looking wow. for company names to start the company, we just felt like a lot of philanthropy was like very buttoned up and a little self-righteous and, and really about like tax documents. And, and we just wanted something that was a little more fun and whimsical. And at the end of the day, um, our, our products white labeled um, and, and we distribute it through partners. So it has their branding on it front and center. So the, the pink blue branding is a little secondary to to our partners um, as well. But that, that's the backstory of the of the name. But within the, the experience, you know, you see there there are whimsical touches added in so mm-hmm. after you make a donation emoji rain down and, and and has that kind of effect we have some fun badges and, and other ways that we've reflected the brand within the the experience as well that's awesome so just to put it in a use case if i so i bank at bank of you know if i bank at bank of america if i log on is that how i access pinkaloo or is it through my employer how, how does how does it, how, do, how do i access pinkaloo uh, both. So oh, we nice. directly with, with employers. Um, in that case, it's sort of like a modern United Way style mm. program. Employees can fund their account through payroll deduction. Um, if the company chooses to offer donation matching, for example, we can help bring automation to, to that as well. Um, and, and we've also we've seen some amazing ways that companies have tied it into their employee engagement program. So one of our partners at the end of last year enabled employees to convert unused paid time off into charitable dollars that were deposited into their individual account and they could distribute That's out great. charity they wanted. Yep. Um, and another one, one of our partners emailed us in the middle of April and said, hey, can you put $100 into this individual's account? And we said, sure. What's the mo- what, what, what did they do to earn it? Um, and they'd run a, a March Madness pool internally, free to enter. This employee won, and, and they just put a hundred bucks in their charitable giving account as a reward. So, some cool ways that we've seen companies tie it into uh, employee engagement. And then the second use case, you nailed it on the head as well. So, just recently, we've started partnering with banks who can offer it to their customers. So that as you log into online and mobile banking, you see a checking account, you see a savings account, maybe you have a credit card, maybe you have a loan product. This can be another product that you get from your bank. One of the nice things about both of those use cases is that 100% of the individual's money makes it to the charity. So there's no transaction fee being taken out. You know, essentially the, the program is being sponsored by the bank or by the employer. Um, and to that end, it's actually more efficient than even going to the charity's website where there's obviously going to be some credit card processing fees taken out mm-hmm. when you donate through, through the website um, itself. So really great way for those organizations to engage their employees, their customers, their communities. Um, and for them, there also is 
some data on the back end, helping them understand what are the causes, what are the charities that their stakeholders care about, um, which they can then use to inform volunteer days and other corporate sponsorships and, and all of that as well. That's awesome. Great product and a great story too. I love that. Um, I also love the, where the name came from. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so how big's your team there? How, how big's Pinkaloo? Yeah, so the team here is, is now up to eight. Um, okay. uh, for better or for worse, seven of them are on the, the product and technology side and, and I'm running around selling. Yeah. Heavy skew towards building, building the product out um, and, and happy to, to dive into what the makeup of the team looks like. Um, but overall, yeah. it looks. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question. How, um, how have you structured your team? Yeah, so we, we have a, uh, a product manager lead um, who, in, in, as at most startups, uh, he, he also wears a few more hats at this point, but mm -hmm. you know, the, the, at least 50% of, of his time. Um, we have, at that point, four software developers, um, you know, and, and they're divided uh, across one's 100% on the front end, one's 100% on the back end and on, on APIs, um, and then two are, are more full stack and, and they bounce back and forth based on each sprint and each, each customer need. Um, and then we have a, a QA uh, person as well, now dedicated to, to the team, just uh, to doing uh, both automated testing as well as manual testing as, as well. That's awesome. Um, so if you, for our listeners that are thinking about maybe product management, but also the roles on a product management team, um, what would be for someone, if someone were to come to you and say, you know what, I'm interested in getting into product management. Uh, this sounds great. Uh, maybe they're switching careers. Maybe they're coming out of college, what, whatnot. What are two or three pieces of advice or two or three takeaways you would give to them about the product management field? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Something um, I didn't ever have to address personally because I sort of stumbled my way into, into product <laughs> management. But I think there, there are there are a few um, paths in, you know, I think there's certainly a, a trend now that a lot of product managers at the big tech companies have more of a, a technical background and, and more mm -hmm. of a technical expertise. You know, I, I'm, I've never written a line of production code in, in my life. You know, I can, I can read the, I can read code. I can at least high level talk um, with the developers and, and make sure that we're designing things in, in the right way. But, you know, if I'm writing code, something's gone, gone horribly wrong. Um, and so, you know, I, I think just as a baseline skill set, I'm, I'm not of the opinion that having a, a software development background is a requirement for, for getting into product management. Mm. Um, you know, for, for me, communication, empathy, and the ability to uh, go back and forth between different stakeholders and, and be able to uh, communicate clearly are, are probably the, the most important skills. So I'd say, you know, th those are the skill sets. To, to really focus on, I think specifically how to get into it. Um, you know, I think, look, any small team is invariably going to need different skills and different needs. The, you know, I think, and then, and, and, um, actually would love to, to ask you a few questions on this topic too, but today, you know, when most apps are being developed, certainly for web, probably for a couple different, um, mobile platforms as well. You know, and oftentimes there's going to be some sort of dashboard in addition to the core product itself, you know, needs have become, I think, a lot more diverse than they were in terms of how you even get a, a 
minimum viable product in the market that meets the needs of the buyer as well as the end user um, and, and the different stakeholders as well. So the point being smaller teams invariably are going to have needs across the product that can't all be met. And so I think that creates a great entryway for somebody who might not have a product management background to get in and start taking on some of these, some parts of the role, you know, whether it's, Hey, I'll, I'll, let me write some user stories or, Hey, let me do mm -hmm. some testing. Uh, um, and build the build the role from there as a way to get into um, product management without sort of the traditional path of being a software developer and then moving over to product management from there. Yep, absolutely. It's amazing. Uh, we're very similar. I kind of slipped into product management as well. Um, definitely not trained in that area. Um, I became a product manager when I became a uh, co-founder with, with my business partner, George, because uh, when we started, there were three of us. And so we wore the hat of owner and COO, but also pro uh, product manager. And so yeah, I remember those days of like, hey, George, we need to get to a whiteboard and you need to outline just the basics of HTML and CSS for me so that I actually know enough to be dangerous <laughs> when we're out there talking with clients and managing products. Um, but I loved it. You mentioned communication, empathy, and then you mentioned going back and forth between the stakeholders. Uh, I wrote down the word relationships. I feel like if you can, if you're really good at listening and understanding people and then being able to communicate something or take something complex and then lead people down a path of simplicity, uh, you can jump into product management. Uh, and, it, and again, if you love technology, that's even a bonus. But yet you're right, you don't have to have been a designer, you don't have to have been someone that, um, a systems engineer that could write a little bit of code. If you can do those soft skills, I feel like you can jump in um, in this role. Um, one, one of my favorite questions, so I, a couple more questions, is um, where do you go for inspiration? So we all try to stay sharp in our craft. We talk a lot about crafts here at Crema. We, um, we're devoted to our craft. We want to master our craft, whatever that may be. And so you, uh, we talk about professional development and growth. So how do you do that personally? Where, where do you go to work on your craft, both as a founder but also as a product manager? Yeah, um... Coming back to your commentary about about a, a co-founder, you know, I think looking at the at the online banking bank account uh, of of the company and and making sure that we're going to be able to pay payroll and, and cover the team is, yep. is, uh, is is a great motivator and a provider of of inspiration. But uh, that that doesn't necessarily translate into tactical uh, tactical work. Um, and so, you know, even before we were talking, I've been fortunate enough to recently join a a product guild. Um, you know, essentially uh, a group of product managers, um, folks like ourselves, you know, who have a Slack channel, you know, there's formal content once a month with a, with a specific topic and we hop on Zoom over lunch. Um, but outside of that, you know, it's, it's one-off topics as somebody has, has a question, the opportunity to go in and, and ask folks. And, and, you know, I think what's really nice about that group is that there's folks from companies as, as small as ours up to folks at, at Google and, and Facebook and product managers at organizations oh. those. Um, and, you know, everything's off the record and, you know, no one's sharing anything that they shouldn't be, but, you know, you can learn a lot about how people at different size companies overcome problems. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's been a really valuable resource um, in terms of, you know, just the stuff that invariably comes up that you haven't faced before and, and getting some great suggestions and opinions for how to overcome those. Um, and then, you know, I think big picture, uh, inspiration, a, a lot of reading, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, I think probably 
at one point I've read that, you know, the average executive or CEO reads 50 or 60 books a year. You know, I, I don't read books. Uh, <laughs> that um, but, you know, I, I think there's just so many great uh, paths, whether it's articles on Medium, whether it's mm -hmm. specific to this stuff, but even diversifying perspectives and trying to take, you know, hey, what, what are some learnings from really amazing companies, you know, like General Mills that has a brand manager that's not that dissimilar from a product manager in, in that mm -hmm. kind of role. What, are the, what does their day-to-day -day look like? Um, you know, or Lifehacker has a great series, you know, this, I am so-and-so and this is how I work. Mm -hmm. um, understanding, okay, you know, how does an author structure their day? How do they time block their time? Yeah. Um, and so pulling motivation from people who, who have similar but not exactly the same uh, jobs to, to be done and, and, and pulling from them and, and trying to improve that way. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I found, um, one, being a just an avid just learner, going out and learning from anyone you can. But I feel like, like you mentioned, a brand manager or, or – having a conversation with a founder or an owner uh, in a different industry, uh, besides your own. I mean, you can just take so many, as long as you can kind of think a little abstract, you can take wisdom or experiences from their situation and apply it to your own. Um, I think that's so key. And I think that's wise what you said there of just going out and, and having conversations with people, um, asking them questions. And building on one of your comments there, um, you know, as, as, Videology, uh, my previous employer had hit, hit, hit an inflection point. We really spent some time, you know, thinking through what, what are the key attributes of, of somebody that we want to be hiring, you know, not only within product, but across the organization as a whole. And, and you know, Amazon is, is quite renowned for really reinforcing those attributes during the interview process. And we were trying to learn a little bit from that. But, you know, the two uh, attributes that I really optimized for in hiring, one was curiosity. Mm. You know, I, I really wanted people who, who were curious and, and felt like that's a, a great skill set to have in a, in a product manager. And then I think secondly was what we called agile thinking, but essentially, you know, the ability to change gears pretty quickly and go from, yep. you know, thinking long-term six, 12 month roadmap to tackling a, a bug that somebody just discovered right now to then going back and, and being able to update folks on what the last release included. Um, you know, I think product managers today oftentimes don't have the luxury of, of spending days or even hours at a time focused on one topic. And so being able to change gears mm -hmm. quickly pick back up again and, and not really lose a beat is, is something that um, we, we really found to be a, a valuable trait to have. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so what is one thing that excites you the most about Pinkaloo right now? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, we're we're just just in the in the middle of it, you know. In, in the in the startup world, August is is sometimes a quieter month. You know, investors are are mostly off at off at the beach. Um, thankfully, we're closing around this month. As I mentioned earlier, we just recently launched with our first bank partner, and, and we have a few more of those in the, in the pipeline. Um, you know, and I think we're we're really fortunate. A lot of folks have invested a lot of time and money in improving philanthropy and improving giving. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think why we're seeing success is, is a fewfold, but one, certainly a macro level, um, the timing's right. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on countrywide that is leading to people wanting to be engaged and wanting to be giving back. You know, I think we're, we're fortunate that millennials as a whole have a reputation for wanting to be more proactive with, with, with their giving. Um, and, you know, the, for the most part, they're seeing no tax benefit from their, give, from their giving, but they're still 
multiple active don donors, over 80% of, of employees that have a workforce giving program are giving um, as, as one data point there. So macro level trends work, work for us. And I think we're fortunate in terms of we're one of the, the few or one of the only solutions just really focused on, on the best possible experience for donors. A lot mm -hmm. of the other solutions are focused on how do we help make it easy for a specific charity to fundraise on their own behalf, but there hasn't really been as much focus on, on individual donors. So um, that, that stuff is all, is all super, super exciting. I think the, the flip side of it is, as I was hinting at earlier, probably a bit of a stressor. I just feel like at this point, your comments earlier, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it right. And it's mm -hmm. so hard today to do Android right, do iOS right, do mobile web right, do web right, build out dashboards for you know, the buyers as, as well. So that, that's probably the, the stress point is how do you uh, create great products across different platforms um, mm -hmm. uh, with a small team on a small budget, but that's, uh, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gideon, I really appreciate the conversation today. This was great. Hopefully, Likewise, yeah. this, has been, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I just want to say I'm thankful for um, individuals, professionals like you out there that are leading your teams well and doing what you're doing at Pinkaloo. It's uh, very appreciative of the conversation, and I have no doubt that other practitioners that are in the thick of it or aspiring to it will get a lot out of this conversation. So again, thank you for being with me today. Yeah, likewise. And yeah, if, if folks do have, have questions or want to follow up, uh, definitely feel free to point them in my direction. All right. Well, keep it up, man. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on iTunes, and if you think about it, would you give us five stars? That helps us out a lot. This podcast is edited by Larissa McCarty, with help from our growth team, Gabby Brotherton, Nate Olson, and Alexa Houston. Check out our show notes at option5podcast.com. Crema is a digital product agency that crafts product teams that design, build, and ship innovation to the world's top scaling companies. We believe that creativity, technology, and people can change the future of business. Learn more about Crema at crema.us.